Zivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you like what you hear, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy it. Today's sponsor is Alley Oop. We all know how important moms are for our kids, but did you know that one of the biggest influences on a girl's confidence and self-esteem is her dad? So if her dad says she's smart or fearless at sports or she can do anything she puts her mind to, she believes him, maybe more than her mom? I don't know. The praise and confidence a girl gets from her dad stays with her for life. There's a startup out of LA that is focused on just that. Started by a mom, it's called Alley Oop, and it provides a collection of fun challenges and activities that are specifically designed for a dad and daughter to do together as a team. There are no materials required, and you can access all the challenges virtually through the Alley Oop app, which you can download from the App Store. Just search for Alley Oop, A-L-L-E-Y-O-O-P. It's early access only right now, but if you use the code BOOKMOM, capital B for book, capital M for mom, BOOKMOM, all one word, upon sign-in, your favorite dads and daughters can check it out for free. Julie Clark is the author of The Last Flight, her latest book, and also The Ones We Choose. She also writes weekly for the Debutante Ball. She currently lives in California. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Could you please tell listeners what The Last Flight is about? It is the story of two women who are desperate to escape their lives for very different reasons. And they meet at an airport and decide to trade plane tickets, thinking that that will give them a way to vanish once they land in their unknown location. And when Claire, my main character, gets off the plane in Oakland, she sees that the plane that she was supposed to be on crashed. And she is now in Oakland. She has this other woman's name, her identity, her purse, her keys. And she realizes she has an opportunity to start over as somebody completely new. But what she doesn't know is what that other woman, Eva, was running from. And so she slowly starts to figure out that Eva was not honest with her in the airport and what she told her about what was going on. So... It's a dual POV. It goes back and forth between Claire in the present time moving forward and Eva in the past. And we kind of see what leads up to that moment with Eva at the airport and what was going on with her. Wow. I mean, that. how can you not want to read it after that description, right? That's like, <laughs> I mean, when I first heard it, I was, well, I was like, you have to find out what happens, right? It's like edge of your seat. That's awesome. But it also has a lot of relationship drama. I mean, the beginning is a lot about what you do when you're in a relationship that's with an abusive, more powerful man, and you feel kind of trapped, which I feel like a lot of women can relate to feeling that trappedness, if you will. Definitely. Yeah, I think that for me, the story that I mean, when I started writing the book, it was 2017. I mean, I had the idea for a long time. And when I was finally ready to sit down and start writing it after my first book had launched and it was right at the beginning of the Me Too era. And so all of these women were starting to come forward with their stories and and watching Dr. Blasey Ford talk to Congress about what her experiences were, watching these women in Hollywood come forward against, you know, mega producers. And it just felt like to me, nobody was believing them or they were discounting them or they were blaming them and saying things like, you know, well, you shouldn't have been there or you should have been smarter. And I had a hard time with that. And I think a lot of women I know had a hard time with that because, you know, we're not always 
able to control the outcome of wherever we are. And so a lot of that, that time, 2017, 2018, even into 2019, a lot of that time was really kind of immersed in the book, you know, and, and that feeling of powerlessness that you have when you don't think anyone will believe you. That's not or you're not sure, you know? Yeah. And to be feeling that way and be in pain too. It's the, I mean, that's a recipe for hopelessness. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't really want my characters to be hopeless. So I, wa- I also wanted to be really mindful that the stories that we tell about women these days, it's really important what we put on the page, you know? So I didn't want either of my characters to be broken in a way that was, you know, they're not crazy. They're not unreliable. You know, there's a lot of unreliable female narrators and they're super fun to read because, you know, who doesn't like to watch a good train wreck? But I am a teacher of children. I want girls to grow up and see strong women on the page. And so I wanted to make sure my characters both had agency. They both had a plan. You know, Claire worked very hard on a plan to get out and she was really smart about it and she was really savvy about it. And even though it fell apart, you know, at the beginning, I don't think that's a spoiler to say, like, things don't go as planned for Claire. She still had a plan, you know, and she's, you know, I wanted to show characters who, when things don't go their way, they pick up and make a new plan because that's what most of us do. You know, that's what the women who I'm friends with do. You know, when things don't go our way, we say, okay, five minutes to feel sorry for yourself. And then, and then, you know, let's make a new plan because we got to keep moving forward. And I read in your beautiful Instagram post about how you had gone through a period of time where you had to make a new plan. Do you want to talk more about that period of time in your life? In 2015, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. It was caught early, thankfully, but it was something that I'd always been afraid of. My best friend had died in 2012 of breast cancer. So I was always like, oh my God, what if it happens to me? I'm a single mom. I have two boys. You know, it just, it was always something I was so scared of. And then it happened, you know, and it's like, oh my God, now what? And you really do get right with the universe or God or whatever you believe in. You make yourself right with that very quickly. And you learn that there are things you cannot control and that you can sit on the ground and scream and cry and say, why me? And this isn't fair, but why not me? And why should things be fair? And so it was really a it was really a powerful time in my life that I learned a lot about what it means to be afraid and still move forward. So for me it was I don't know, it was transformational for me personally. It was I, and I'm very privileged in that I have a good job and I have good health insurance. I was able to take time off work and go on disability and it was such a privilege to be able to step out of my life in that way and just focus on myself and my kids and keeping everything as normal for them as I possibly could. I know not everybody has that privilege. So I was very appreciative of being able to do that. And I really focused on my mental health and my physical health and just slowed everything down. Like literally like, you know, if you imagine life as sort of like a rapids where, you know, everything's happening so quickly and you can't miss this and you can't miss that. Like you're just stepping out of the water and sitting down on the shore and just watching it all go by. And there's a definite power to being able to do that. Not always successful at that. (laughs) 
Well, it's really wonderful the way you've taken that experience and shared it and use, are using it to help people. I mean, it's so. funny, and I don't mean to in any way compare your personal you know, struggle with breast cancer to the world pandemic now, but some of the things you were saying sort of resonate with what people are saying now and that everybody is forced to do just what you're saying, spend time right. with their kids, be at home, sit at right. the edge of the water and watch the I world go by. I think it's very comparable. You know, I think that, you know, it's it's very scary time. And, you know, as you know, New York City is hit especially hard. You know, I have friends there who are not feeling well and it's scary. It's very scary. And, you know, here in California, we're, we're hit hard, not nearly as hard yet as New York is, but, you know, there is time to like go for walks with my boys and, you know, watch them play with the dog. And it is very reminiscent to me of that time personally to like, just stop doing everything and just think about, okay, you know, and I got in the habit of always, every time I started to feel really stressed or really worried, I would always get in the habit of stopping and saying like, in this moment right now, right this moment, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. I don't know what's going to happen five days from now, but right now I'm okay. And that really helped me a lot then. And it helps me now every time I start, you know, hyperventilating and, yeah. like, going <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I can't read this anymore. And what are they doing? And like, deep breath. You know, there are some grownups in charge, maybe not the grownup we'd like to be in charge, but <laughs> there are some people who are in charge and just take a deep breath. Yeah. I yeah. think this yeah. is like one big exercise in mindfulness. This is like yeah. the mindfulness community being like, ha, I, I got you all to try it. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that's true. And I'm doing a lot more meditating than I have in a long time. And it's reminding me again of like, wow, that really works. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so funny. I mean, not funny. It's scary and awful, but it's funny too. I mean, you have to find the humor. Otherwise, like, how do you, how do you get through? It's like. You don't. And and then you make yourself sick, literally. Stress causes illness, I think. And it weakens your immune system. And then, you know, you're right where you need to be or you don't want to be, I should say. I read that. I, read, I mean, I knew that obviously it's like, I know that, but it, when I was reading lists of how to prepare sort of as this whole thing was going down a couple of weeks ago and they were saying, you know, how stress as just what you're saying is such an immune suppressant really. And I was is. like, I can't afford any immune suppressants around my kids right now. So I can't be this, I just cannot be stressed about this. I have to drink water and move my body and like do all those things that I usually ignore. I have to. So yeah. Yeah. And luckily you have lots of time too. Yeah. <laughs> and yet still some days go by and I'm like, huh, those 20 oh. minutes of exercise, when was I going to fit that in? <laughs> right. I know. It's 937. Time to meditate. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So going back to your book for a second, how, so when, when you were writing this book, tell me like what your process was like. And I know it's your second book and I've heard that writing a second book is way harder than writing the first book. This like sophomore panic attack or something that, that happened to people. Did you find that or not really? No, because it was a totally different book from day one. My first book was definitely upmarket women's fiction. It could be categorized as like a family drama suspense, sort of, but not really. I mean, really, you have to, <laughs> you'd have to turn it sideways and squint with one eye and then maybe. But sure, let's say that. And, but this one is just totally not that. It's, it's domestic suspense. So I had to kind of figure out mm, how to write that. Um, so that was new. And, you know, my process is, I, I'm noticing with the second book and now as I'm working on the third book, it's different every time. 
So I can't, with, with the last flight, I wrote the first draft in probably three or four months. Wow. Just, I knew exactly what I wanted to have happen. I knew exactly where I wanted it to go. I knew exactly how it was going to end and how I wanted it to end. And I just needed to get everybody from A to B to C to D to the ends. And then I would go back and, and kind of refine it. Um, and, and I thought that's how I work. That's how I work. I, that's how I work. I, I read an interview Celestine did about her sister, who's an engineer and, and the engineer motto is, you know, first you make it work and then you make it elegant. And I was like, that's what I do. You know, I'm a first you make it work and then you go back and you really refine it and you make it elegant and you get all the language and character and backstory and emotion on the page after you've blocked out the scenes. But then, you know what, guess what? With book three, I'm not working like that. So it's different. (laughs) It's kind of like (laughs) building a house, right? First, you have to, I mean, not to bring up more cliches, but it's true. It's like you have, you can't decorate at the beginning. First, you have to figure out where the walls go. So Right. And the plumbing and yeah. all the stuff that you don't really want anybody to see, which are the story beats and the turning points. And you don't want anybody noticing those. You just want them experiencing them. So yes, it's, it's a little bit like that. And how did you, did you actively learn how to write this type of a book, like a domestic, a domestic suspense book? Did you like read an article or take a class? I know you are a teacher yourself, but it's a unique genre, right? It's like, it has some formulaic elements to it to, to, to create drama. Yes. I've talked to a lot of friends who write exclusively in this genre and had a lot of help and a lot of critique partners who, who are very experienced in this category to give me tips. My agent was great too. And I worked with an outside editor who was also very good. So I had a lot of outside help to kind of teach me how these things are supposed to go. But a lot of it is just done by instinct, by reading a lot in the genre. So I was heavily influenced by Tana French and heavily influenced by, you know, Megan Miranda and Sally Hepworth is another one, Lisa Jewell. Like I just literally immersed myself in these authors and these stories and studied it to see kind of like, how do they pace it? How even like down to, hmm, I noticed that there's like five page chapters interesting. Okay. I didn't do that. I can't, I don't think I can write chapters that small, but, but you know, there's, there's definitely like things that they do moves that they make. And as a teacher of writing, I'm already thinking through that lens because all of what I do when I teach writing with students is we study exemplars, we study books, we, we do author studies and so I'm already really used to looking at books like that. So it's easy for me to see those author moves that are maybe not so explicit to straight up readers. How, what grade, oh. what grade do you teach? Fifth grade. Oh, fifth grade English. Yeah. Wow. Uh, fifth grade, everything. Fifth grade, everything. Yeah. Oh everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Everything. Everything. I have two, six, two sixth graders right now. So. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, do you feel like this extra layer of pressure being an English, like teaching what you're trying to do? No, because I I keep my teaching and my writing life very separate. I never want anybody in my school community to feel like I'm not bringing 100% to my teaching day as a parent myself. Like I want to make sure my kids are, you know, their teachers are showing up every day with 100% of their attention on the kids and the teaching. So I, I don't, every now and then I'll bring in like, you know, revised page or a chapter. And I'll say like, this is number 12 
and it's like covered with marks because, you know, when I say it's time to revise your writing, they like read it through once, change a word, turn it in. And it's like, that's not really what I meant. So I do use things like that, but mostly I don't, since I don't write for kids, I don't, I don't, you know, I try to keep them separate. And what, what's your new book about? My new book is about an author, a struggling author, who is the daughter of a famous literary icon who only ever wrote one book, Hmm. much beloved in the literary community and deceased, unfortunately, but she is guarding a secret about him that would absolutely shatter everything everybody believes to be true about him. And so on the eve of her memoir about him, that's being released alongside the 50th edition of his iconic book, an anonymous blog post comes up that basically says that everything, everything the world believes about Frederick Solomon is wrong. And over the next eight weeks, it's going to dismantle all of the lies. And so my main character, Trixie, is trying to figure out like, you know, who this is and, and how do they know and what do they know? And and everything that she believed to be true is also not true. Wow. And so how are you coming up with these great ideas? You, they just occur to you like a dream or what? <laughs> I wish I dreamed my ideas. No, they, they kind of just occur to me. And, I, and, and just when I start to panic about like, oh my God, what am I going to write next? Like an idea comes up and I think, oh, okay, there it is. And it usually, I need about a year to sort of just let it sit in the back of my head. And I sort of think about it on my walks and I talk about it with some writing friends and, you know, a little bit with my agent, you know, and, and kind of let it percolate. So, you know, just, but it's one at a time. I don't have like, I don't have a notebook full of ideas. I don't have, you know, lists or note cards or anything. It really is literally like one idea at a time. And if I don't know what it is yet, I just know it will come. I just don't know yet, but it'll be there. So when I need it. That's a lot of confidence in the universe. I like it. <laughs> I, do, you know? I mean, I do, I, I do have a lot of confidence in the universe. I know. No, it's you know? really great. It's refreshing and it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's no, it's like, you might as well. I mean, why not? Why go a different way? This, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer. The universe will always give you what you need the moment you need it and not a minute sooner. So chill. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to have to come to you for all of my, you know, my fill of Zen dumb. I can't even speak. I'm like, oh my goodness. I just wanted to read a quote or two from the book. You wrote, it's a complicated grief, not just the loss of my name and identity, but also the life I once hoped I'd have. The death of any dream deserves to be mourned. All its intricate facets touched one last time. Do you feel like you have personally had dreams you've had to let go of, or do you just feel like this is something the character would undoubtedly be feeling? I think that definitely I, everybody has dreams that they thought would happen and don't happen the way they want them to. And I think that there is a fine line between wallowing in that and honoring it, like what Claire is doing there and saying, like, I accept that these are the mistakes that I made. I accept that I'm going to lose something as a result of those mistakes and to just you know, give it one last squeeze and then let it go. You know, it's easier said than done though. You know, I think we all have regrets. Yeah. It's always nice to know that all the bad stuff in our lives can actually be used to become great books, (laughs) (laughs) right? If you didn't have the bad, 
I mean, I had coffee with a friend the other day and she's like, I don't think I could ever write anything because like nothing that bad has ever happened to me. She's like, I feel, I feel guilty, but my life has been pretty easy. So that's why I can't think of anything to write about. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's hard. You know, I I think I spend a lot of time, I think for me, it's my imagination that causes problems, but also gives me really good writing ideas, you know? So I've always been a rather fearful person. You know, when I was little, I was always afraid of being kidnapped. So I was always on the lookout for like, you know, who's that person? What's what's going on with that panel van? You know, that kind of thing. And as a mom, I'm also very paranoid. You know, now it's not so much what's going on with that panel van, but it's like, boys do not walk next to a panel van. Here's why, you know, (laughs) but but I also think that it helps me sort of imagine all of these what if scenarios you know? And so with Claire, I've always been fascinated with the idea of, could somebody really disappear from their life? Like literally vanish without a trace, without any like federal help from, you know, witness protection or something. Could you really do it? Could you, you know? And so I have a friend who used to work for the FBI. And so I called him up and I'm like, gotta, you know, could this, how, how would somebody get a good passport, a good ID, a good, so that it's not questioned. And he said, the Russian mafia is the way to go. Like they're the only game in town. And so, and and you just kind of go from there. Like, okay, so I have a character who, for whatever reason, wants to leave her life. Why would she want to leave her life? You know, for a while I thought maybe she's a bookie. Maybe she like is tired of the life, tired of the game, you know? But that, you know, and then you kind of go down a lot of dead ends of, you know, well, then I'm going to have to like find a bookie and talk to a bookie. And then I'm like, "Eh, back up, you know. (laughs) No, I'd rather talk to a a privileged New Yorker or something like that who could relate. (laughs) I think so. That's a much more pleasant conversation. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. No offense to any bookies listening, but you know. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, definitely don't want to offend the bookies. (laughs) Okay, one more quote I wanted to ask you about. So the tagline that you came up with sort of for the book or that is in all the advertising, it's not really a quote, but it says, with your back against the wall, would you be brave enough to take the chance you're given? So I was wondering, did this come from the things that have happened to you? Like, did this come from getting through breast cancer? Did this come from, or were you born like with this skill or do you not, or it does not relate to you at all? The skill to take the chance I'm given? Yeah, just to like... Oh no, I'm a total chicken. I'm a total chicken. If somebody, <laughs> if somebody approached me in the airport and wanted to trade tickets, I don't care what song and dance she was telling me, there is no way I would be trading tickets with her. I don't know. I mean, maybe if I was running from what Claire was running from, maybe I would, but you know, I don't know. I don't know that I would be brave enough. You know, that's why I write the characters that I write. Cause I, I like to write people who will do things that I can't or won't do, you know, that's the fun part of reading is going along for a ride that we would never in a million years take ourselves. No way. You know, that's what great fiction does. So no, I'm not brave. There's no way I would probably let that chance pass me by. I'd be too scared. I'd be too scared. I think. Me too. Me too, by the way. I would be like waiting at my gate half an hour early, you know, ticket in hand. You know, no one's allowed to go to the bathroom for like 30 minutes before we board. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, that would be me too, actually. (laughs) Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Just keep doing it. Keep writing every day, write every day. 
You know, I write in the morning, very, very, very early in the morning for two hours before my kids get up, before I have to get ready to go to work because I'm useless after work. There's no way that I can write after teaching a full day and making dinner and getting homework done with kids and making sure everybody's where they need to be and then sit down to write. Like there's no way. So I get up very, very early in the morning and I can tell you that in two hours a day, you can write an entire book in a few months. Like it's possible to do. So do that. Find a writing community, find critique partners. There are tons of places online that you can go for support, for classes, for conferences, even in a pandemic, you can do that. Make some writing friends, read a lot of books. You know, you don't need to have an MFA to write a book, get an agent, sell a book. You just don't. I mean, if you want to do, that's great, but you don't have to just write every day. Love it's that. kind of Love predictable. That. It's predictable advice. I, everybody says that. No, everybody has a unique point of view. I mean, what you just said a, a minute ago, I was thinking to myself, oh, I need to write that down, how we read for something that we would never do ourselves. See, I already can't remember it, but it was really great. I'll rewind it. <laughs> something like that you would never do. You, you write because you can't or won't do whatever emotion is required. That's really interesting. Like, um, oh, definitely, yeah. I yeah. want to do like a psychological study. I feel like I've interviewed so many authors at this point. I want to do like, I was a psych major. I feel like I want to do like the correlation between different, you know, maybe anxiety disorders and authors. <laughs> like, <laughs> there is such a high oh, correlation. And I feel like me. this is why I have like found my people. Cause like, I understand like what everybody is saying suddenly, you know, as opposed to like yeah. consultants or <laughs> anyway. You know, all pretty neurotic. Yeah. yeah. And anxious yeah. generally group. Yeah. So it's great. I love it. Lots <laughs> <laughs> of water here. Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to my podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you liked this episode, please follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and sign up for my mailing list at zibbyowens.com so you can always hear about the latest things I'm up to. Thanks a lot. Thanks to today's sponsor, Ali Oop, A-L-L-E-Y-O-O-P. Check it out at the App Store and start bonding with dads and daughters right away for free with code BOOKMOM, B-O-O-K, capital B, M-O-M, capital M, if that makes sense, BOOKMOM. <laughs> Thanks for checking it out. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 